And so he is a missionary to uh, our college campus, uh, Northwestern University, up uh, in Chicago there. And you know that's a great need. And uh, don't hold this against him, but he's also a Viking fan. Whoop, whoop, all right. We've got some fans, I know. Um, so we have a kindred spirit because we like the same losing team, and it's awesome, it's awesome. So. No, um, but we're glad to have you here, Andrew. So come up and, and share the word. Let's welcome him this morning. Thank you. Now, it, what Pastor Spence said is true, absolutely 100% true. I'm a Viking fan. And I'll explain that in a second here. But because we are kindred spirits, I thought it would only be appropriate for me to give something to him. Um, and this is, uh, I know also that I was reading on the website that he loves Starbucks. So this is a, a prayer mug. And it's, it's, a, it's not just any coffee mug. This actually it has, you know, our Northwestern Chi Alpha logo on it. And um, it's really special, though, because... Um, when you drink coffee from it and you pray at the same time, there's something special that happens and God answers those prayers. It's really cool. So I want to give this special prayer mug to Pastor Spence because he has been such a gracious host. So yes, always remember us. Well, thank you very much for inviting me here. It's um, a joy to be in the Chicago land area. I have to say that uh, for the, the past three weeks, I've been down in uh, Missouri, southern Missouri, in Springfield, Missouri. Has anybody ever been to Springfield, Missouri? A few. Okay. Fantastic. Well, that's where I've been. We, uh, uh, part of our story, my wife and I uh, both went to Evangel University, which is in Springfield, Missouri, and we graduated from there. We never knew each other while we were there, uh, but then afterward, we ended up uh, meeting each other in a prayer meeting at church. So, uh, if anybody's here and uh, you're single, there's hope, okay? I just want to say, and this is the right place to be. This is the best place you could be, okay? I met my wife in church, and it's turned out awesome. So uh, anyway, so we were in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, then we were just living. We knew we wanted to uh, go into the ministry, be missionaries, but we didn't know really what that looked like. So we just started to pay off our debt, and because um, we had a lot of that from going to a private school. So that was our kind of plan, and uh, through that process, we bought a house in Missouri, and we still own that home. So uh, we've been back there trying to fix it up and get it ready for rent uh, so that we can live here in Chicago and not have to pay two mortgages. Anybody? That's, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. So uh, I think we have a picture of my family. I don't know if you can put that up on the screen, but there's, uh, yeah, that's me and my wife, and then we have our twin boys, Caleb and Luke, and I'll talk about them a little bit later, but they are five now. And then we had another uh, special little bundle that came last November, and she is literally the most beautiful girl on the face of the planet. Uh, oh, not her. No, that's, that's Caleb. Uh, just go to the one with all of five of us in the, on the family. It's a really awkward family photo, and so I wanted to show this. I don't know if you can really see this, but all of us have a horrible expression on our face, and this is what our life looks like right now. There's just, there's no, I don't know if there's a way for all of us to be smiling and looking good in the same shot. So uh, if any of you are really good at Photoshop, come see me after the service because I might need your services to help uh, us get a good family photo. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but that's a little bit of us. I actually grew up in the beautiful state of Montana. Anybody ever been to Montana? Yes, a few. Fantastic. Montana is where God lives. Uh, 
I know you can make claims for other places, like Jerusalem or something, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that that's where God lives, because it's beautiful there, and um, that's why, also why I'm a Vikings fan, because Montana has like five people in it, four now that I left, and... <laughs> We don't have a professional, we don't have enough people <laughs> to, to staff a professional football team. So you have to kind of pick from either Minnesota or Seattle or Denver. And I just picked Minnesota as a kid. I don't really even know what was about that. But I wish I would have picked Seattle because they actually win. But that's okay. That's for another day. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk this morning and ask you a very, very important question. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Okay. Are you afraid of the dark? Okay, so let me, let, me, uh, let me expand on that a little bit. When I say that, obviously, we all kind of think about physical darkness, right? I mean, there's, there's darkness that happens when you turn out all the lights. If you've ever been, maybe when they were cave tubing in Belize, maybe they were in a dark cave. But if you've ever been in like a really dark place, really dark, where there's no light at all, you can hold your hand up in front of your face and you can't see it, right? When I was a kid, I had a basement, as um, many of you might, and uh, I'm sure all of us can, can identify with this. I'm not the only one, I hope, but uh, there was a basement, and the person that built the house was just not thinking, I think, because they put the light for the basement at the bottom of the stairs, not at the top. So <laughs> what you'd have to do if you wanted to go down to the basement, which is where we kept all of our, like, you know, dry goods and our pantry and stuff was down there. So inevitably my mom would send us down. And you'd have to, like, be super brave and run down the stairs and hit the light. And then <laughs> something happens. I don't know uh, if this is, if anybody can relate to this, but when you turn out the lights, your imagination starts making up things that aren't really there, right? Perfectly empty room all of a sudden starts having like, you know, bugs or burglars or boogeyman, boogeyman, I don't, whatever, something after you. So what I would do is I would stand at the bottom of the stairs and I'd look around the room real quick, take stock of everything, make sure there's nobody that's real close to me that could grab me. And you turn off the light and then just run up the stairs. And I, I, I mean, I, I never, I left that house when we were, when I was 13 and I never just casually walked up the steps. I don't know what it was, but that was just me. So inevitably, uh, when we think about darkness, we think about physical darkness. And physical darkness is unique because it's not defined by what it is, but rather by what's not there. So darkness, the actual definition of darkness, is the absence of light. Now that's kind of interesting, isn't it, if we think about physical darkness. Actually, you can't really talk about darkness without talking about light. Light is actually a very interesting thing as well. If you study light, I'm no scientist, so let me just put that out there right now. I am not a scientist, so if I'm wrong on any of this, don't correct me now, wait till after. Um, but light is, is one of the most unique substances in the world. In fact, scientists for a long time didn't even know, and they still don't fully comprehend all that light is. It acts like a wave at certain frequencies, and it acts like a particle, which is, you know, like a, a bouncing ball. It acts like that at certain frequencies, but no matter what frequency light is, whether you can see it or not, it acts like both at the same time. That's blow your mind away, okay? But light, another characteristic of light is that it's a constant, right? 
So in, in space, we measure the distances between objects in light years, right? Because it's constant. It never changes. No matter what kind of light it is, it moves at the exact same speed when it moves through a vacuum. And that's incredible. So it, it actually is called the constant. If you're in physics, it's the C. So E equals MC squared. C is the constant, which is light, okay? So it's, it's a foundational constant. So that's very cool about light. It actually is the foundation that we use to measure distance and time. So both time and distance are, are rooted in light, okay? Another aspect of light is that it has energy. It's extremely powerful. It, it's, it's got so much energy, actually, that it, it they, scientists know that it depletes over time, but they don't really even know how to measure it. They measure it in, in um, quant- if you've heard of quantum physics, that's kind of how they measure that. So needless to say, uh, light is very, very complex. But the cool thing about light is that it's one of the ways that Jesus describes himself. He said, I am the light of the world, right? And I'm going to talk about light and darkness this morning. And so I I actually will talk about it um, in in physical terms somewhat, but mostly we're going to talk about it in spiritual terms. And the really neat thing about our world that God created is that the physical oftentimes shows you things about the spiritual world. So the physical world, the things that we can see and touch and taste and smell, those things actually tell us something about the more real things that are spirit. Because we can't always see and touch and taste and feel spirit. But, but the spiritual things are actually more true and more real. But God, in his great wisdom, has made our world so that our physical things that we can see also show us things about the spiritual world. So we're going to talk about spiritual darkness this morning. And I'm just going to kind of... Um, and get into it this morning by, by, um, by talking about different kinds of darkness, um, things that I've done um, that have led to darkness in my life, and, um, and then we're going to talk about mostly the light of the world, Jesus, okay? So if you um, would just think with me a little bit about light. Uh, light in and of itself is, is a substance that um, is powerful. And I, I didn't actually say this, so I want to go back, but, but light is so powerful that if you were in a place where there was, was absolute darkness and somebody uh, lit a candle, that light from that candle is so powerful that you could see it with your naked eye from 10 miles away. Isn't that incredible? So just that little bit of light makes that huge impact on that darkness. Okay, so uh, Jesus saying that he's the light of the world is a very powerful thing. But when I say, are you afraid of the dark? Uh, a lot of us aren't necessarily afraid of physical darkness. I might still be a little bit, a little bit, very little, right? Okay, I'm a man. But uh, at least when my wife's around, I am not afraid of the dark. Uh, <laughs> but there, uh, there is a, a, a spiritual darkness that not always do we know that we are afraid of, but yet it's impacting our lives. So I just want to kind of bring those dark places out into the light a little bit as we talk about them this morning. So one of the first ways that we can talk about darkness is in terms of sin, right? Sin is, is darkness. So when we make a mistake, when we fall down on our face, when we lie or cheat or steal, we are operating in darkness, 
And the Bible talks about that in several ways, but, um, but really, it's not hard for us to think about. I mean, if you look, again, at, if we're talking about natural versus spiritual realities and all that, in the natural world, places that are known as places of sin, when are they open? At nighttime, right? There's a reason why the brothels and the bars don't operate at 7 a.m., it's because that's when the light is out, right? They start operating in the afternoon, evening, you know, as it's getting into the dark. Because we like to hide from our sin. We like to hide. In our sin, we like to hide. And so if you're here this morning and there's a part of your life, um, I would be uh, absolutely shocked if there weren't every single one of us here this morning that doesn't have some secret dark place of our lives that that has some sin, whether it's a sin that maybe we did way back in the past or whether it's a sin that has just been an ongoing struggle for us. But, but I, would, I would be, um, I'm pretty certain that there are, most of us here have dark places in our life that are places of sin and we just haven't yet brought into the light. And I want to encourage us with a couple things here this morning. And, and the first thing is that, um, We've all done dark things. The Bible is very clear about the fact that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so when we all sin, we all have dark places. That puts us all on equal footing. So we talk all the time. The church is famous for talking about certain things that are better or worse or, or more catastrophic than others. And a lot of times that's true because our sin has consequences, right? But the thing is, because all sin is sin in that it separates us from God, all sin is darkness, and every single one of us has dealt with it. So there's a, an aspect of this that's important that I really wanted to touch on this morning, and that is that because sin is darkness, because we like to hide from our sin naturally, whether that's physically or in whatever way we like to hide from it, the reality, the spiritual reality that is true is that, that we like to hide, but God is calling us to a place of light. If you'll read with me in um, John chapter 3, there's a very interesting story where um, Jesus has an encounter with a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. And this story occurs at night. So Jesus has done a couple miracles. He's been out. People know who he is. And what happens is that this Pharisee, because he's on the other team, that Jesus, Jesus is here saying his truth, and the Pharisees are kind of opposing him, Nicodemus comes to him at night because he doesn't want to um, have an inter- interaction with others. And so he's telling him, you know, Jesus, tell me, tell me about, he says, um, uh, Rabbi, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that, that God is with you. And then uh, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, what do you mean? How can an old man go back in his mother's womb and be born again? So he's having this conversation about what it really means to be saved. 
And it's happening in the dark, right? So as they're in the dark, they're having this conversation about what it means to be saved. And, and Nicodemus is saying, like, I don't get it. I don't see. I can't see what you're talking about. And Jesus says, how is it that you as a teacher can't understand these things? Surely you know that in order for you to become born again, it's not, I'm not talking about going back into the mother's womb. I'm talking about a spiritual birth here. And so... Um, he, he kind of explains this. And then he says this statement, and I, I love this about Jesus. He says, um, God's light, this is in verse 19, it says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they are doing, what God wants. Some of the versions say that others can see God at work in what he's doing in their lives, okay? So you have this spiritual truth that's a physical reality in, in, in our natural world. We understand we want to hide from sin. If you have a little kid, my five-year-old son, you know, whenever he does something wrong, he's like, you know, his face, he's trying to hide the fact, but you can't really hide the fact that he's done something wrong. So we want to hide. But the spiritual reality is that we want to hide too. And what God is saying here is that I'm the light of the world. I want you to come to me, even in your darkness. Come to me, and I will shine my light into your life. Some people are going to reject it. There are some people that like their darkness too much, and they don't want to go into the light. Have you ever been in a dark room, like say as a teenager, and your mom comes in and turns on the light? And then it's like a dark room all of a sudden is flooded with light. And you're like, ah, oh, no, stop. And you pull the covers over your head. This is, this is kind of, this is the, the reality. That there's light that shines and sometimes we don't want to go near it. And usually the reason we don't want to go near the light is because we're afraid, right? We don't want our sin to be found out. But the spiritual reality that is so powerful this morning that I want us to understand is that God knows already. There's not anything that any of us have done, whether it's a bad deed, a bad motive, a bad action, whatever it is, that God doesn't already know about. So when we come to him, what we're doing is we're, we're confessing and we're telling him, hey, Jesus, I'm so sorry for this. And, I, I, and, and we come to him in, in, in a humble way to, to repent, which means turn from our, our sinful way. And we bring that to him, um, and he takes that sin, and he says, okay, I got it. And we think we're bringing him something that he doesn't already know about, but he already does. So our need to hide really isn't a need to hide at all. And we, we think we're hiding, but we're not. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says it in a really um, neat way. I'll just read part of this. In verse 7, it says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. There is nothing that God doesn't already know about. So if you're here this morning, and maybe you're here, and uh, inevitably this is what happens, right? 
We have a good week, and we're excited about church. Sunday morning gets up. We got the worship music playing as we're getting ready. You know, it's, everything is great. We're driving to church. We're, it's, everything is fantastic. And then the next week, what will happen? We have a bad week. Our boss gets mad at us, and we fly off. We, you know, we, we flip out on somebody in traffic and, you know, say a few things that we shouldn't have said or done. Or, um, or maybe we hurt somebody that we really love. Or maybe we just fall into the same old habits that we've been having, and we just, oh, we struggle. And then we say, you know what, uh, maybe, maybe I should just take a couple of weeks off of church, a little break. You know, I'm a little too dirty to come into church this morning. So we just kind of take a little break. We step back. But the reality of what God wants from us is for us to come running when that happens. And it's so hard for us to do sometimes, but, but I wanted to talk about it this morning to kind of just let us know that, that if you're in a dark place, because of your sin, if there's some something that's been holding you back in your relationship with God, that this is the safest place that you could actually be. There's no better place for you to be than in God's house, where he's here and he's present and he wants to work and shine his light in your life. So that's one way that we can experience darkness. It's just the sin of what we've done. There's another way darkness can influence our life, and that is in, in uh, circumstances. Has anybody ever had a circumstance, something that's happened to them that really just threw them for a loop? I mean, you're talking like, like everything is going great, and then you find out, my mom's got cancer, or I've got cancer, or my girlfriend's been cheating on me, or my wife's been cheating on me, or my husband's been cheating on me, or... or anything. There could be myriad of things that could, could happen, but circumstances happen that can throw us into a funk, and there, there's a spiritual darkness that can happen in times like that. My wife and I experienced a time like that um, about five years ago, uh, almost six actually now. We were in Springfield, and we were um, excited because we wanted to be missionaries, right? We were paying off all of our debt, and we found out we were having kids, and we were having twin babies. And that was a little bit scary, but we were excited. I was excited. Christy, on the other hand, she, uh, you know, she, when she found out, her face went white, and she just about passed out. It's probably what I should have done if I had been smart, but uh, we found out we were having twins, and then what ended up happening is that our boys were born three months early. So instead of being born on December 3rd, they were born on September 26th. And they weighed two pounds, and in the days following, I don't know, you can show that picture of uh, uh, Caleb. Uh, they were so small. That's my wedding ring right there that's on my finger. So it could literally slide all the way up his arm. In the days following their birth, um, we found out that my son Luke had had a brain bleed. And they rated on a scale from one to four. He was a three and a four, which is the most severe. He had a, a duct in his heart that was open, that should have been closed. He had a section of his intestines that had died, and so we had to do surgery. Um, he was in the hospital. Caleb was in the hospital for 50 days, but Luke was in the hospital for 130 days. To say that it was a dark period of our life is an understatement. Here we were wanting to serve the Lord. We wanted to be pastors, missionaries. I mean, that's, that's the real deal, right? I mean, if you're up here on the stage, you've got to be something. This is, that's not true, by the way. 
I'll get to that in a second. But we were kind of blindsided by this major event that happened. So um, Luke was in for 130 days. He comes home from the hospital. He's starting to progress, do all right. And then when he turns one, we start noticing that he's got these weird things where he does like these spasm things. So I'm like, this isn't right. We take him to the doctor. The doctor's, oh, no, it's nothing to worry about. Keeps on happening. Take him to another doctor. No, it's nothing to worry about. No worries. Take him to another doctor, and he says, actually, this is uh, really serious. Every time he does that spasm, it's a seizure. So we found out that Luke was having between 100 and 200 seizures a day. He would have these clusters of seizures where he would uh, spasm 50, 60 at a time sometimes, and his, all the development that he'd made up to that first year of life went backwards. So not only did he have a rough start, but then now he's facing this illness, this um, epilepsy that is extremely difficult to control with drugs. I mean, we tried several different things, and the whole time we were praying, asking God, help us. And we had this sense that God was going to do something, but it was a dark time in our life. We had no idea what we were going to do. And all we could do is just trust that God was there. Sometimes God brings us to dark places because he wants us to trust him. If you're in the dark, you can't see where your next step is going to go. But when Jesus says, I'm with you, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise. And as I was reading in my uh, quiet time this morning, I was reading in Psalms 33, and it says, all the words of the Lord are true. He can be trusted in everything that he does. And that's what we found during that time, that it was so dark and it was so hard, but God was with us every single step of the way. And in February of 2010, God healed our son Luke. Uh, he was having some seizures. He had gone for like two weeks without having a seizure. And so we thought, oh man, maybe God's doing it. And then he started seizing again. But Christy was home with the boys and she started praying. And if you're a mom or a dad, you know what kind of feelings you have when your son is sick and you can't do anything about it. And she began to cry out to the Lord like you, you just don't care. There's a prayer that comes when you could care less who's listening outside or if people are going to come by and turn you into DFS. It doesn't matter because you are going to get a hold of God. And that's what she did, and God healed him that day. That was his last seizure. February 28th of 2010, God completely healed him. Two months later, yeah, praise the Lord for that. And two months later, where we had been experiencing roadblocks, trying to go into missions, all of a sudden I went to a, a Light for the Lost banquet and God speaks to us there and he says, Andrew, I'm calling you and your family to go and to minister to international students. It was kind of off of my radar a little bit. I wasn't really sure what was happening, but, but the reality is that there are students all over the world that God is bringing to study here in the United States. There was... Um, a story that I'm sure all of you are familiar with. Um, about a year and a, and a couple months ago, um, the Boston bombing took place. The end of the marathon, a bomb goes off, and all of us watch in horror in the following days as all of this stuff is playing out in front of us. One of the most interesting things that I learned about in those days following is that the man who committed the crime, this terrorist, was actually an international student. You can put up his picture. Uh, it's Tamerlan. That's the boxer guy. Um, 
So we learned all kinds of things about him as this manhunt is going on and, and all these things are ticking across our screens and we're all glued to it, right? But the thing that struck me most about this young man is that he came as an international student to study in the United States and two years before the bombing happened, he was quoted in a, an article that was done, a photo essay, and his quote was this. He said, I don't have a single American friend. I don't understand Americans. It would be one thing if what Tamerlan's experience was was unique. I mean, we could kind of justify and say, okay, well, that was just him. But the reality is most of the students, the research says most of the students, when they leave and come back to their home countries after they've studied here in the United States, most of them don't have one friend, a vast majority of them. It's like 60-something percent don't have one friend, an American friend. They have never been to an American home. They've never known what it is to experience Christmas as a family. And Christy and I began to learn these things and realize that the Bible talks time and time again about helping the, the foreigner that's among you. It talks about the poor and the widows because they can't defend themselves. But what about the person that comes from another country to study here in the United States? They're uprooted from their family, their friends, their relationships, their language. Everything is new and different and all they want is a friend somebody to talk to, to experience what it is to live and be an American in this most blessed country in the world. And then they leave disappointed. And so God called us and he said, Andrew, I want you and your family to go and minister to these college students that are coming to study. I'm actually sending the nations to you. I'm not sending you to the nations like you thought. I'm sending the nations to you. Every year in the United States, there's almost 700,000. This year, there's going to be like over 800,000 international students that study in the United States. It's a powerful thing. When Christy and I left Carbondale, um, or sorry, we, when we left Springfield, we had to do an internship because we wanted to do, to do this. We're responding to the call, right, to be missionaries, to work with international students. And they said, if you want to do that, the best way to go to get trained is Carbondale, Illinois. I don't know what's in Carbondale, but I'll go, okay? So we picked up and we moved to Carbondale. During that process, I ended up signing up to be a conversation partner with uh, the university, and they matched me with a young man by the name of Ferris. And Ferris, uh, I have a picture of Ferris that you can put up. But Ferris and I would just meet every week, and we would just have conversation. We were conversation partners. So we would talk about life and family and relationships and culture and religion and I would pray every week before I met with Ferris and say, God, have him ask about you. Let him ask me questions about, about Christianity, about you, because I didn't want to be seen as just, hey, I'm just going to be your friend uh, because I really want you to know Jesus, and that's the only reason why I want to be your friend. I actually love him. So I wanted him to ask me the question. So uh, Ferris and I would sit, and we would have all these conversations, and, and um I kid you not, almost every single time God answered that prayer. And for one time, we sat down, and for two hours, I got to explain to him the story of Jesus coming and dying on a cross for him. And we got to talk about all these miracles and things that Jesus did and what that meant and how it was different from Islam. And Ferris still doesn't know who Jesus is. He still hasn't met the light of the world But he knows because he's been told and he's seen it. And it's interesting because in the months following the Boston bombing, Ferris and I were actually texting. I had already moved up to Chicago. And uh, so we were texting. And he said, Andrew, I just, 
um, was in the mall today where we usually met for coffee. And he said, I, as I passed the mall, I just started thinking about, as I passed our coffee shop, I started thinking about you. And I just want you to know that you're my best American friend. Ferris knows about the light of the world. And what he chooses to do with that is up to him now. But when we go through dark circumstances in our life, the faith that God gives us to walk with him and to be with him, as he comforts us in those times, those trials and those difficulties, what, he, what he's doing is he's building a story the story of our lives where we can go and we can meet with our coworkers, our Pharisees, our family and our friends, and we can say, you know what? I know you're in a dark place right now. I've been there too. And I can say that there is a light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it. It's powerful. One of the men that has been the most encouraging to me has been um, Abraham in the Bible. Abraham was known as the founder of our faith, and, and he, God called him, and he said, I'm going to call you from a place, and I'm, I'm gonna, I want you to leave where you're from and go to a place that I will show you. So he didn't actually tell him where he was going. So he called Abraham, and so Abraham steps out in faith, he moves, and then God gives him this promise that he's going to be the... the, the um, father of many nations, that as many of the stars in the sky or as many as the sand on the seas, that, that, that that's going to be his descendants. So God makes this promise, but he is old, 75 years old. Abraham goes for 25 years without seeing that promise fulfilled. That's a dark place, right? We get this promise, and we're on the journey, and we're saying, hey, this is what God said but this is what I'm living in. Am I going to believe in what I can see, which is the stuff around me, or am I going to believe in the promise that God's given me? Am I going to say that the natural is all there is and that the darkness that I see around me is it? Or am I going to believe that there is another reality, a spiritual reality that's actually stronger and more powerful, and I'm going to hold on to that promise? What am I going to believe? I'm going to close and just... Um, tell the story of Jesus. It's in John chapter 9, and this is a, a powerful, powerful story. Sorry, John chapter 8. It's a powerful story because of the context that it happens in. It starts in verse 12. And we know from the context where this story is placed in the Gospel of John that there's, that where Jesus is at, he's actually in Jerusalem, in the temple, during a festival. It's right actually at the end of a festival. They had this, it's called the, the, the Feast of, um, the Feast, I, I can't remember the name of the feast now, but it's, it's a feast, right? Okay, so it's a big feast, and what they do, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just totally blanked on that, um, but what they do is that they have, as part of this feast, they, it's, it's a, it was a feast to celebrate God bringing the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt and into 
the promised land, right? So what they would do is in this temple court, it was a big court, right, like this, they had these 12 things called trumpets, and that's where they would give their money. So it was a really busy place, right? But what they would do in the middle of this courtyard is they would set up these four pillars, and they were huge lamps is what they were. So they were these big candle operas, and they they would hold, um, I think research says like 65 liters of oil apiece. So it's a lot of oil that it would hold in each one of them, and they were tall. So they were like as tall as the temple walls around, and they, so there were these big, huge lights, right? And what they would do in, at night, the whole time during this festival, is that they would light these, um, these lights, and the priests would get torches, and they would light torches, and they would dance. It was a, it was a celebration of what God had brought them out of. And so what it was doing, it was recalling what happened in Egypt when God brought the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. He said, let my people go. You know, Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go, and they, the, he leads them out of Egypt. How God led them is a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night, right? So the fire actually represents the presence of God. So as the Israelites are leaving Egypt, the presence of God is with them. So they're leaving, they're going, in, whether it's darkness or daytime, they always know that wherever that cloud's at, wherever that, that, that pillar of fire's at, that's where God's at, right? So this, this, um, this celebration, this feast, is actually celebrating this time. So while the priests are dancing, it's this symbolic of the fact that, Jesus, or that God was there amongst them, that you know, this is a major miracle that God had done in the past. Well, here's the thing. At the end of the festival, what they would do is they would turn out the lights and they would extinguish them. And that's when Jesus gets up and John chapter 8 happens. In verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Is that not powerful? That here as they're celebrating God's presence and leading them out in this major, major miracle where God takes them from captivity, 400 years in captivity, leads this whole people, million people, more than a million people, out of captivity all at one time, and he shows them that he's with them by a pillar of fire. They celebrate it. In this day and age, the fire goes out, and Jesus stands up and says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light. You're celebrating that light, but I'm here to tell you that I'm the light. And then not only that, but he says, if you walk with me, you will never have darkness. You will have the light that leads to life. So it's dark, and Jesus is saying, he's like, this is so powerful. What does that have to do with us today, though? We've talked about darkness in several different ways, and we know that Jesus is the light of the world. But here's how it impacts us. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, this imagery of light actually is all throughout the Bible. So there's a number of ways I could, um, another, a number of scriptures that I could go to to show you this. But in Ephesians chapter 5, the author Paul is talking about what it means to be in the light. Okay? So he's contrasting the light in in darkness. So he says, imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. 
So that's our new life in Christ, right? That's the light part. Then he goes back and he says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. He continues on, talking about the darkness. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of darkness, once you were darkness, is actually in the original language, in, in, the language, in Greek, the language that it was written, it actually says, once you were darkness. You didn't have darkness in you. You were darkness. We're black. We're sinful. We've got the stain. We've got the disease. It is us. It has taken us over. We are darkness. But then, here's the good part. But now, you have light from the Lord. You are light. In the original language, it says you were darkness, but now you are light. We are light. It's Jesus who is the light of the world, comes in, and his light shines in your life, and he changes you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, which is the kingdom of light. And here's what happens. So live as people of light, for the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Um, And he goes on, this light imagery goes on and on and on. So what I wanted to encourage us here this this morning, as a missionary, I get to challenge you for missions, right? We're the light of the world. In Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, it talks about how you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't take a light and put a basket over it and let your light shine, Jesus wants to be the light that shines in your life. So if there's a place of darkness in your life this morning, Jesus wants to bring his light to touch that darkness. He wants to expose the sinful areas of your life. He wants to take the darkness that was your life and he wants to transform it into his light. And then he wants to take that light and he doesn't want it just to be for you. It's not all about you. It's actually so that he can display his glory so that when you go into your workplace, when you go into your family, when you go to the Pharisees of the world, that you can say to them, I am the light of the world and it's not because of me because I was darkness and I didn't do anything to earn this. But God gave me this gift and he said, now I am light. That is powerful. If we could understand that and grasp that, it would change the world. So I want to thank you this morning for allowing me to come. And I just want to, to close as we, as we pray. And I just want to invite us to ask God, we want to invite God to come and to fill the dark places of our life. Maybe you've never done that before. God's here this morning and he wants to invade your darkness with his light. Maybe you're going through a dark place and you just need that reassurance that God is walking with you in the darkness. He'll give you that too. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are the light of the world and that you said that you are the light and when the light comes into the world that the darkness will never be able to extinguish it. 
I thank you, Lord, that the light coming into our light is not dependent upon us earning it or working for it, that no matter what we've gone through, no matter what the darkness was in our life, that you still came to bring light. When you died on that cross, you sealed a covenant where you said that you would take all of our sin, you would take our darkness upon yourself, and in exchange that you would give us your light. And so we thank you, Jesus, that that's the kind of God that you are, that you are a God who restores, who makes all things new, who came to give life and life abundant. And so we pray this morning that no matter what area of darkness we have in our life, that we would surrender those things over to you, that we would expose them to your light, that you would shine your light in on them, and that you would change us, and that you would transform us to make us more like you. Lord, and we believe the promise that you said that if we would confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts that you are Lord, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you would transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your dear Son. So it's with faith that we trust in you and we believe in you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.